0: Hey, welcome again to another virtual edition from a family of churches scattered all across greater Boston. Hi, I'm David Butler, and I have a privilege of serving as one of the teaching pastors at Charles River Church. It's one of five churches that week after week have been sharing this very uh, exciting series, I think, for the summer especially, called Hidden Figures, in which you're diving into the lives of the lesser uh, knowns of, of Scripture. And every one of their lives have a very powerful story. Now, I I want to begin this morning. I'm I'm the one guy who chose a a hidden figure that was a woman, and I I want to uh, begin thinking uh, in this way, picking up on a well-known phrase that was popularized back in the '70s. You've you've heard it. Uh, It goes something like this: Behind every good man, there's a great woman, or maybe put in a different way: Behind every successful man there's a stronger woman. I couldn't agree more, especially when I think about the first lady of my life, uh, my wife of 47 years, Gail. I don't know how many times, uh, literally she has rescued me. Many a man has been saved by a woman, whether we admit that or not. I'm not talking about physically, but at just the right moment, they said just the right thing. They kept us from doing something that only men could describe as being boneheaded. You've maybe been there, guys, you've experienced that, but that that particular moment, that woman spoke up and it was like, ah, she just saved my life. Now, a lot of times when we start thinking about the, the women in our lives, we don't stop to ask maybe a question I want you to think about for just a moment. Question is this, what woman past or present do you admire most? What woman past or present do you admire? You look to uh, in, in a very, um, you know just a way that says, yeah. Um, she, she's, she's someone special. Maybe uh, put the question a little bit different way. What woman has made the greatest impact on your life? And it could be someone in the present, or it could be someone in a season of your life, but it was that person. I anyway, know for too long, uh, the role of women has been just that. We've talked about the role of women. And we've overlooked and undervalued the incredible gift that God gave us when he made women. Uh, you know, I think uh, when you look at God's disposition uh, towards women, all you need to do is look at the opening chapters of the Bible and those creation narratives. And of all the labels God could have chosen uh, to describe the woman Eve that he made, he chose this one. It's the word "Ezer," And it's used 21 different times in the Old Testament. And if you start digging into each one of those words, as I did this past week, you would begin to discover that it, even though it's translated in the English as help meet, that it's suitable, it actually means someone who is a strong ally. And in every connotation that the word is using, used, it almost has a military connotation. And more often than not, it's actually uh, a word used to describe God's relationship with us. It describes God as being a shield and defense, as being better than chariots and horses, standing sentry and watch over his people. So when you put all that together, here's the picture God had in mind when he created woman. Someone who would be a strong warrior-like rally to come alongside man to wholeheartedly provide strength to carry out God's mission and purpose together. I like the way that Carolyn Curtis James puts it very simply. When women step up to answer God's call, the men in their orbit will benefit. So today I want to introduce you to an amazing easer to pick up on that word that you're going to love. Her name is Abigail, and it's a very fitting description that fits her well. The word actually means my father's joy, the one who brings my father great happiness. And she illustrates uh, in this very brief uh, introduction to her, it's a, a brief record in the ancient history of the nation of Israel, and more importantly, a man by the name of David, who we'll introduce and talk about in just a moment, But it it illustrates uh, in a very powerful way a woman of faith who's living out her purpose both in public and private ways. Now, what we're going to see in this very brief but very significant episode, we're going to see that she faces two hostile men in a very sticky, volatile political situation and becomes the deciding factor. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So we're going to go back to 1000 A.D., excuse me, 1000 B.C., and that's like 3,000 years ago. And we're going to introduce you to those two men where she came between them, literally. And the first man, of course, is David. He's more well-known in Scripture, one of the most well-known figures. And we're introduced to him as a 15-year-old boy. when Amazing things, when God begins to move in his life and says, You're, you're next, the king that's uh, leading my people now. I've rejected his name, Saul. I'm pushing him aside. I'm going to lift you up. And the way he gets lifted up, he stands before the... the the fierce enemy of Israel in the Valley of Elah. You know about David and Goliath. And you remember how he struck down the giant. And because of that, he became a a famous celebrity. Songs were written about him. And he became a hero of the people. And not only that, Saul began to kind of put his arm around it. Before long, he began to get suspect of David. And he began to realize that David really was a threat to him. And his insecurities took over. And he saw David take his daughter as his wife. His son became his best friend. And he began to plot in every way that he could to take David's life, even at the young age. He was so threatened by him. So David literally lived about 12 to 15 years of his life as a fugitive on the run while Saul tried to hunt him down and to take his life. So understand when we drop into the scripture that we're going to look at today, this episode that's really all about Abigail, this amazing Ezer-like woman, we're going to look at her and we're going to see that In this particular moment, David's about 30 years old, almost 30. And you have to realize that as we read the scripture here, as we begin to illustrate something about his life, that you have to understand he's been spending all these years running for his life, running for his life. And he's tired of running. He's had to live off the land. The constant threat of Saul wanting to take his life. Most recently, he 's lost his lifelong mentor Samuel who 's just died' uh, he 's living off the line. You might say David might be at a point of of breaking point it 's a tipping point in his life. He feels empty in his soul kind of ragged edged emotionally and how the Bible describes it here it is first samuel uh, chapter twenty five now Samuel died and All Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. David can't be there. He's a man on the run. So David rose, and he went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there, here we get introduced to the second man. There was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal. Uh, That's how they say it in the south. We would actually pronounce it Nabal. And the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man, and we'll come back to Abigail in a moment, was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Cableite. Later on in this particular episode, we read in verse 17, Now therefore, know this, his, his servants, his employees are talking about him, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Nabal, or Nabal is a wealthy man of means and influence, but he's coarse and he's crude and he's headstrong. And as you're going to see, he's very greedy and selfish in hard. His name means fool or folly. His, his, his name was his life. You put together and you have the composite of a total jerk. That would be Nabal. Now, this is where the, Abigail steps into the story. Vivid detail. I love the way the Bible describes her. Talks about her being beautiful, gracious. He has an outer attractiveness. She is intelligent, discerning, bright, good head on her shoulders, thought ahead wisely. Uh, you might say she's, she's a diamond. You've got to ask yourself a question. What's a girl like that married to a guy like that? And in that particular day, time, marriages were often arranged, and maybe that's what take, took place. Or maybe over time, this is the kind of guy that he, came, uh, be, he, he became. So, We pick up the story. Here's the sticky situation. Let's pick it up in verse four. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was sharing the sheep. So David sent 10 young men and David said to his young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you. Peace be to your house. Peace be to all that you have. A triple shalom. He said, this is what I want you to tell him. And then continue. I hear that you have shearers now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing that all the time they were in Carmel. So the custom of the day, David and his men, and by the way, David is now surrounded by 600 uh, motley crew of merry men, the original deplorables, that he has kind of fashioned into this very uh, loyal group of men, uh, and they've been protecting Nabal's flocks and herds from anybody that might uh, come in and, and pilfer and steal and and they did it on their own, and they didn't take anything when they could have. And now it was just kind of the custom of the day it was kind of like, hey, this is a time for you, uh, kind of like quit pro pro. Uh, you've been, we've been good to you, be good to us, kind of like a tip, gratuity, a little remuneration. We're not going to make any demands. We're just asking, hey, now your paycheck is coming in, the sheep are being cheered. How about a little bit of some of that for some of us? We've been your security force. Well, how does. Uh, so how does Nabal respond to that? After they come, they, they make this request, uh, you know, let us have favor in your sight. Uh, what took place? Well, verse nine, when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from the masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shears?" And give it to the men who come from I do not know where. Talk about trash talking. Talk about insult and injury. It just shows that this man really is very crude and coarse. And his response is kind of like an in-your-face insult. So the scripture goes on, the narrative. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man, strap on your sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David strapped on his sword. About 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. This whole thing catches David off guard. His lid blows off. He saddles up, fixes bayonet, and his switch just got flipped. And he's about ready to butcher a people he has never met, unleash a rage on this group of people, and he's just imagining it's just building up. It's a tipping point. It's a breaking moment. It, it's kind of, he's undone. He's thinking wildly insane, get even kind of thoughts. His mind goes to work. Uh, and I can imagine you and I thinking the same thing. If you put yourself in his sandals. In verse 21, now David had said, again about this particular moment, surely in vain, this is what he was thinking. Have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and his returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more so if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. This is a sticky, sticky situation. David is about ready to go off in an insane massacre against a group of people he's never met. That's where Abigail steps into the story. This is when you need an Abigail. Very volatile situation. Let's pick it up, verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us and we suffered no harm and we didn't miss anything when we were with their fields. As long as we were with them, goes on to tell them, hey, these guys didn't do anything. They were good. And now our servant, our, our master, Nabal, is, is just, he just blundered, he's insulted them. And now our very lives are at risk. Then listen to how the, the episode, the narrative, describes Abigail. Then, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sillas of parts grain and 100 clusters. It's kind of like this first massive catering service. She puts it together, thinking very wisely in this, this moment of, hey, something's got to happen. She doesn't, she doesn't take a passive stance and just wait for something to happen. She doesn't tell her husband Nabal because she knows it wouldn't go well there. As she sends all of this, this massive kind of buffet before David's men by her servants, she then follows. Verse 20. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her. Now she's coming up. She, she's putting her very life in risk. This the David is, is an insane, crazy man right now. He's pushed all restraint aside. He's on a mission of murder. And here she comes. Now, now David had, had already said, you know, what he's going to do. Now, when Abigail, verse 23, saw David, what's her response? She hurried and got down from the donkey. She fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. That's unheard of. She's a wealthy, influential woman bowing on the ground to a rogue, a fugitive, and it's a moment of incredible humility. She's, you know, she's proceeding with generosity and now with humility. And she fell on his feet and she said, on me alone, my Lord, be guilt. She assumes responsibility. It's an amazing moment. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow. Nabal, for his name is so he is. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, didn't see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. I'm acknowledging, yes, what happened, what my husband did is embarrassing. It's foolish. Now then, my Lord, she says, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving your own hand. Now then, let your enemies be as those who seek to do evil to my Lord as Nabal. Now, pause here for just a second. Somebody might be saying and thinking, you know, I I get what Abigail's doing, but it's almost like she's throwing her husband under the bus. Well, in fact, we have to understand that submission should never be blind submission. And there are moments when the truth has to be told about the actions, those people in our life who do us great harm and hurt. And that's exactly what she's doing. It shouldn't ever be hidden. Abuse should never be tolerated. And it should never be hidden. And so she's just acknowledging what David and everyone else knows to be true. Verse 27. And now she continues in this, uh, this speech. Let this present that your servant has brought you uh, to my Lord to be given to the young men who follow my Lord. And uh, please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of My Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. Do you see what she's doing? (laughs) This great speech with this great poise and with this great tone, she's taking responsibility, she's coming in humility. But here's the thing that she's doing more than anything else. In a very discerning moment, she's speaking to David in a way that isn't is informed by what God has spoken to her in her heart that she's listened to and acted promptly in response to what God has said. This is God's anointed. And she speaks to him about his potential. And she's saying, David, you, you want to tell a story, don't you, about your life? You don't want this to be the story. You don't want this, this to be on your conscience about how that you massacred a, massacred a people in a, in a rash rage. You don't want that to be your story, David. And she appeals to him, and what a uh, very wise, intelligent, discerning woman she was. She's, and then she uses phrases here. She uses this phrase that says, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. You know what she's doing? She uses a phrase there that says, God's going to keep you in the depth of his purse. You can't talk about women and talk about purses at the same time. I don't know how many of you men, your wives have ever said to go find something in their purse. And you were like, I, I, don't, I don't know whether I want to do that or not. Because you can't ever find anything in a woman's purse. And it's like in the depth. It's covered. It's hidden. And that's what she's telling David. You're hidden in God's purse in the depth of it. And then she uses another language. She, she says, and, and he will keep you. And in the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out from the hollow of a sling. She brought back to his mind. You remember, David, when you were in the valley of Elah, when you were just a shepherd boy with a slingshot, you took on the, the, the great giant Goliath. You remember that you said, The Lord is the battle, the battle is the Lord's, and how confident you were in him. David, just go back to that. God's got this. Don't you allow this to ruin your life. Verse 30, she goes on, And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he's spoken concerning you, as opponent, you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause or grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or my Lord working salvation himself. Taking this into your own murderous hands. What A beautiful thing she's doing. She's calling out David out of a sense of discernment to live up to his potential and saying, David, this is the story you want to tell, not the one you're about to act out. And you see discernment here. What's David's response? And David said to Abigail, watch this. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, your discernment. And blessed be you who've kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation within my own hand. For surely is the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you. Unless you had hurried and meet, come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. And David received from her the hand which she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up to peace of your house. See, I've obeyed your voice, and I've granted your petition. In this moment, David proves that he's a man after God's own heart. We've seen that doesn't mean perfect, but he's sensitive to what God is doing, and he moves in the direction that God wants to move him. That's a man after God's own heart. And Abigail literally saved David's life, his future, his reputation through her discernment. Her courage, compelling action that moved in such a way that changed everything. Now We don't have time to go through the rest of the story, but there's a part that she goes back home. Nabal, when she comes back, he's in this kind of drunken festival, and she's not going to bother tonight. She spends a good night's sleep, and the next morning, she knows, you know, she's at risk even now. She tells Nabal what she's done. The scripture says that in that moment that his heart turned to stone, and that 10 days later he died. Evidently, he was struck with the significance of this, and it brought about a stroke or a heart attack. And within 10 days, the Bible just simply says, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Now, we could stop the story right here, but suddenly I think there's a different kind of soundtrack. As we read the rest of it, the last three minutes, like of a movie, you're wondering what's going to be the the, the future of Abigail. What's going to happen to her? Let me read that part of it, verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, who has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David said and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David sent you to take him uh for you to take for you to become his wife. And uh well uh in a nanosecond she said and she rose and bowed her face to the ground and said behold your handmaid uh, is a servant to wash the feet of the servants my lord and Abigail hurried and mounted a donkey and her five young women attended her and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Ah <laughs> uh, uh, she didn't know that was going to happen, and, it, it, and I'm not going to go into all the ins and outs of that. But just think about the ending there uh, of how that God took over. And when God took over through Abigail's discernment, it turned out to be very rewarding. Now, in these last few minutes, I just want to offer to you to think back across what we've just described and read. I'm going to give you like four very simple thoughts. And then I'm going to follow up with some questions for you personally. So. First of all, I want you to hear this. Discernment is a powerful weapon we all need. If I had to choose truth, choose strength, or discernment, I would choose discernment every time. It's the ability to see beneath the surface. It's the ability to sort out the options. It's to get insight in the midst of confusion. And it means, first of all, to, to pay close attention to the voice of God, and respond to His prompting. Discernment is a powerful weapon we all need. Maybe you need it today. To live without discernment is like a Boeing 747 landing in a fog without instruments. Here's the second truth. Discernment is all that stands between you and the future God has for you. Discernment is what keeps your passion from overriding what's better, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Third truth discernment is the key to gaining and maintaining the right perspective on life. David was about to blow his life up. He had lost perspective. Abigail brought him back to his senses, back to his senses and provided the right perspective. Maybe you're dangerously close right now because your passion, you have lost perspective. Discernment will bring you back to your sanity. And finally, discerning discernment is a rewarding gift. Abigail was away ahead of her time. She returned good for evil when turning evil for evil was the norm. But it was a rewarding gift because through her discernment came relief. She was able to move forward with her life. Abigail reflects in this moment the Jesus way of life. It reflects what Jesus said in Matthew 5 when he said, You've been taught to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you this, love your enemies. Pray for those who torment you and persecute you. And then later on, Peter reflecting upon Jesus' own life and his death on the cross when he he repaid evil for good when he offered, he repaid evil with good when he offered his life on the cross. Peter said it this way don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing discernment brings you to that point where you don't get even, you give that up and you are able to move ahead. Discernment is very rewarding. Well, here's the four questions. Very quickly, question number one is this. Are you actively listening and paying attention to what God is saying to you right now? What is he saying? Are you paying attention to it? Are you pursuing it? Second question. How responsive are you to the discerning appeal and counsel of others? Third question. Where is God compelling you to act right now? Fourth question. What or whose life is at stake if you don't? A lot to be able to take away from this. Some of you are living in a mismatched relationship right now. You're not for sure what to do. Ask God to give you discernment. and Trust Him as you lean into that discernment and perspective. Don't allow your passion to override that. And I ask God to give you discernment in those moments. Some of you are married to a Nabal. It's very difficult. It's very hard. ask God to give you discernment in those moments. We need more leaders like Abigail for sure. Uh, she boldly blocks her husband's evil actions and wisely turns the future king back to God. She's a strong, strong role model for how women live out their purposes in relationship with men, in marriage, in the church, in the world. She stands against injustice and evil. She offers godly counsel and promotes faith and obedience to God. That's, that's, that's a great woman. That's a great easer. And as you're listening, if you've got a woman like that in your life, you need to be ever so grateful and take care of her. If you are a woman, that's the kind of woman God's calling you to be. I had a great easer in my life, my mother, she... She just recently, we would have celebrated her uh, 91st year, 91st birthday, and she was one of those women who, uh, behind the scenes, quiet strength, but she had untiring hands, and she spoke vision into the lives of her husband and to us as her children, her uh, several grandchildren, and more than that, hundreds of young adult men and women she poured her life into over the years. She was an easer. She was a woman who carried out this ability to discern and help other people in it. Well, today, as we close out, I hope that you have a moment to think back and be grateful for the easers in your life or to become an easer or to reach out to have someone speak into your life and to be used like Abigail was in David's life, literally to save his life. And that's exactly what God has done for us through Christ. When he literally gave himself for us, doing good in response to evil, Showing us his grace and his kindness and his mercy and his compassion. I hope and trust that you have a relationship with him through Christ. The ultimate, ultimate discerner of our thoughts and our heart. The one who understands us like no other. I trust that you'll give him your life today.
1: Hey, so thankful for that word from David. Um, Let me lead us in in prayer, if you don't mind today. Uh, Father, for the ones who have heard this and you're speaking to them, maybe you're speaking to some of us about the need to commit to follow Christ. And I pray that from the quietness of their people's homes or wherever they may be at the pool or the beach or wherever today, I pray that people would be turning from sin Uh, trusting the work of Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb and committing their lives to follow you. God, this isn't us becoming religious. This isn't us jumping through these weird hoops and becoming holy rollers. It's not even us taking on a new layer of religious guilt. It's just us committing to follow Christ and receive forgiveness. So give people courage to do that today. For all of us, I pray that we would live with discernment and we would surround ourselves with people who are discerning. We love you. I thank you for David, his influence in my life and our church's life, our church's story. And God, I pray that the word you plant in our hearts would go and be lived out today. In Jesus' name I
0: pray. Amen.